Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's called the law of entropy. Um, those of you that had science in high school are like scrambling right now in your brain trying to remember what that means. So let me help you because I had to look it up. It's built into the fabric of the universe and it says this. Everything winds down, not up. Everything moves from a, a place of order to disorder. We proved that when we were children by this example right here. We would take a top and we would spin it as hard as we can and we would walk away and eventually because everything winds down it would begin to wobble and finally it would fall over on its side because of the law of entropy. I'm going to say this very specifically in a particular way this morning, just so I can bless you. You are proving at the moment that everything winds down. As you age, Amen. I didn't say as I age, I said as you, okay. So as you age, you prove this same law is in effect because our bodies grow weaker, they don't grow stronger with age. So it's called the law of entropy. That same law applies spiritually. The fact is, is that left unchecked and untended in our spiritual lives, our spiritual lives grow worse, not better. Left untended and unchecked, this is what happens. Devotions become routine. Can't get no help already. Church becomes a rut. We just go because that's what we've always done and the law of entropy in our spiritual life kicks into effect and we begin to wind down spiritually rather than winding up or getting stronger. Uh, the, this law has played itself out in our lives until, as we have mentioned over and over again, now when we survey those of us that call ourselves born again believers in Christ, less than one in five of us have any measurable spiritual goals this year. Less than one in five. We wind down. We, we literally drop our heads and waste away if we're not intentional and if we're not determined. So what takes place is this, in very practical terms, we come to a, a church like this and we sit through what I believe has been, and from your own mouths, a powerful series that is revolutionary in concept, and yet what we do is we walk away with a filled out card but with an empty soul because we spiral downward, not upward, unless we are intentional. So what we've done is this, is we, we've declared that we need to make some shifts, seven shifts. We're on shift number six this morning. We, we, we set up a scorecard. You should have it. If you don't, um, we're about out of these, but if you don't have one of these, you may raise your hand. I think they've got one or two left. If you've already had one of these, and this is like your ninth one, sorry. Uh, things spiral down. They don't grow up, right? But if you never got one of these, you need to get one of these. And, and we've been using this as a scorecard, a scale, a measuring stick, if you will, to help us identify these shifts. Because simply and bluntly put, I put it like this. I think Pastor Drew probably did last week as well. If we don't grow in these areas, then we simply don't grow. Simply put, the only way I know to tell you over and over again is if you don't make these shifts right now and begin to work on the, these shifts this year, when we get to January 2020, what is this, 2020, 2021, 
you will be less committed to Christ than you are now. You will be less like Christ than you are right now because we spiral downward. So we need to make these shifts. Here, here are the shifts we've said. Uh, we began with shift number one. You can write these down to catch up if you, if you haven't been with us. Uh, we, we make this shift from me to you. We're no longer self-centered. Number two is we move from slave to sons or slave to child. So we have this concept that we begin to recognize our, our, our God as our father. He's not just our master. He's not just our Lord. He's our father. And it changes the dynamic of our relationship. Shift number three was moving from the scene to the unseen. We've got to begin to make room for this other world there that, that, that is real and, and that we often fail to, to peer into or make allowance for. And so we must make room for this other world. We talked about moving from consumer to steward where we recognize that we are a partner. We are a hand in hand with God being utilized to bless others. And then last week, and I, and I, I listened to part of it as I was struggling with the flu a little bit. Not a little bit, a lot. Uh, that Pastor Drew did, Drew did a great job talking about one of the greatest concepts in this whole series, I think. Moving from ask to listen. Where we don't just present our shopping list to him. We literally sit around and say, let's talk about what you're interested in, God. Rather than talking about what I'm interested in. So this morning we make shift number six. And this one is going to be entirely and completely unfamiliar and uncomfortable with, with you and with me as North American Christians. This does not... What we're going to talk about today, I, I'm not sure... I'm sure it works. I'm not sure I've ever seen it work. It's not because it's not in Scripture. It's just because we don't like it. Okay. Y'all ready for me? Go back to being sick. All right. Here's the shift. Sheep to shepherd. See, we've got to understand that when Jesus walks into, uh, into his uh, world, it is predominantly consumed by two things. It's, it's, it's uh, consumed by farming and it's consumed by fishing. And Jesus, being the master storyteller and communicator he was, used those two uh, industries, if you will, that were consuming the, 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 the society around him, he used them to communicate so that people would understand. The dilemma with that is, is our society is no longer consumed with farming and fishing. And so we struggle to connect. But I want you to listen because what takes place in John chapter 10. See, I can say John chapter 10 and everybody that's been a Christian very long starts getting all excited because you, you know John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We fail to clue in to what Jesus is talking about here because he's framing it, if you will, around farming. Okay, so are you with me? Here we go. What takes place in John 10.10, Jesus talks about how the good shepherd operates. Okay, so that's key. I want to read it to you and then I'm going to point out this shift and show you that we struggle here. John 10. Verse 1 through 15. <clears throat> Very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does, not, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
and I, and I need to stop here because, see, we don't understand this. There were community sheep pens. And all the shepherds would bring all their sheep in the evening and place them in one pen. And so, so you can be in the same sheep pen and not have the same shepherd. So he says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, when he has brought out all his own, that means there's other sheep in there that don't respond to him. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Verily, verily, I say, or very truly, I say unto you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. Emphasis intended. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. We have no clue. Because we don't understand farming. So, so let, me, let me try to help you. I, I need to make a, a, a confession here and, and just acknowledge something to be true. I recognize that when it comes to physical health, we have relegated our physical health to healthcare professionals. Right? If I'm if I'm having a physical issue, I ain't coming to you. I, I like you and all, but I ain't like if I'm having a heart problem, I'm not visiting you. Can I I'm not calling you trying to set up an appointment saying, Can you help me? Because I know you can't. Okay, boy, y'all are quiet this morning, all right? So I recognize that to be true. But in like terms, we've also done the same with spiritual health care. Now what we do in the North American church is we relegate all spiritual health care to people with diplomas and degrees. And, 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 and in the American church, this is literally what we've done. We have delegated the idea of a shepherd to the guy that's got the microphone on Sunday morning. Okay, I know this. I, 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 am, I am confronting how we do church right now. But in the North American system, that's what we've done. Is the guy up front with the microphone on Sunday morning is the shepherd. So then what we do is we read John 10. And this is what happens. Stay with me. We only see ourselves as the sheep. We've been taught that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is. We've been taught that the guy with the microphone is a shepherd, and sometimes they are. But because we've been taught like that, and because we've done church like that for so long, when we read John 10, we never see ourselves as anything but sheep. Okay, so what I want us to do then... 
is I want us to go back. And in order to make this shift, what we've got to do is we for, we've got to, when we read John 10, we've got to forget about who the shepherd, or about who a shepherd should be. And instead, let's begin to think about this. What does a shepherd do? Because John 10 shows us, in fact, um, I don't have time to deal with it. I started to mess with this and I don't even have time. But just for free, let me say this. When you read John chapter 10, it ought to encourage you. It ought to excite you about your relationship with Jesus. Because it shows everything that he does for us. And it's exciting. I'm going to mention them, but I'm not going to mess with them. But in the same token, not only does it show what Jesus does... It shows what a shepherd does. Are y'all with me? Uh, okay, I, I know sometimes you're, you're processing as a... Uh, but I got enough... I'm, I'm white chocolate mocha enough that I'm, sometimes if you don't talk to me, I'm not sure you're really listening. So, so, uh, so, so, so why, when you read John 10.10, 10, quit reading it uh, thinking who's supposed to be the shepherd and start reading it like this. What does a shepherd do? Real quick, four things. Number one, according to what Jesus says in John 10, the shepherd knows the sheep. He knows them. Jesus talks about a shepherd's intimacy with the sheep so that he knows them. And he literally says he knows every sheep by name. He knows their story. He's intimate with them. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. It resonates with them. In fact, because we don't understand the concept, the concept is, is that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep with multiple shepherds, and the shepherd can walk in every morning and say, Hey, y'all, and the sheep that are his, only his, no other sheep, even if they like the other sheep they're hanging out with, they will leave the, the comfort of the sheep pen, and they will follow the voice that, the, that resonates in their spirit because they recognize, the sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. They're intimate with one another. The shepherd thinks about the sheep. Okay, number two. According to what Jesus says, and I read it to you, it's in black and white. The shepherd leads the sheep. In other words, he has a vision and he has strategy and he's, he's committed to taking them somewhere for their own good, even if it costs him in the end. He brings clarity and he thinks about tomorrow or she thinks about tomorrow. He brings sheep to places they would never go on their own. That's a key point. I don't have time to mess with it. But one of the clear marks of a shepherd is that he or she will try to take you places that you would never go on your own. Number three, he feeds the sheep. Jesus says that when the shepherd begins to lead the sheep out, that the sheep are able to find pasture. One of the characteristics of the shepherd is that he is concerned about how to nourish the sheep that are with him. He's concerned about their spiritual health. He's concerned about their diet. He's concerned about what they're taking in. Because he wants them to grow. He wants them to develop. He wants them to be built up. Right? Four. This is not revolutionary material. It's just we don't do this. Number four. He protects his sheep. 
Jesus says that a shepherd will lay his life down if he needs to protect his sheep. He says a hired hand, somebody that's not really a shepherd, will run away for, and, and save his own life, but not the shepherd. The shepherd fights for the sheep. A good shepherd wastes hours, wastes hours on people that seem to be uh, unworthy and probably not worth it, but a good shepherd says, no, I will fight for those sheep. I will believe in those sheep. I will protect those sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He binds up those who can't do it for themselves. This is a key point. Shepherds navigate and negotiate life for those that are trapped in death. Those four things, forget about who's supposed to be the shepherd for a moment and just think about the role of the shepherd. That's what a shepherd, according to Jesus, will do. He will do these four things. He will know the sheep, he will lead the sheep, he will feed the sheep, and he will protect the sheep. So because of the way we do church in America, we have sheep that are being slaughtered and we have sheep that are scattered And we have sheep that are destroyed simply because they have no shepherd. And the real dilemma is, is because of the way we've done church, we recognize that the sheep are being destroyed, but we also believe that one guy can do all four of those things. Okay, see I knew. See the truth is the per- the truth is one person may be able to lead and possibly feed everyone. But one person can't shepherd everyone. Okay, so so if these are the four characteristics that define the marks of a shepherd in our life, then what that means, are you ready? It means that I can be your leader. And I can take you places that you may have never gone on your own. I may be your feeder. Because I think about how to nourish you and to grow you and develop you. But chances are, just because I'm your leader and your feeder, does not mean I'm your shepherd. See, some of y'all struggling right now. I see it. You're hurting right now because you've been taught that because I got the microphone that I'm supposed to be your shepherd. So, see, see, here's our problem. I knew this was not going to be easy. In our format, I'm still trying to figure out, we got two services, we have people that watch online that occasionally show up. And I'm still trying to connect names and faces. Still, to this day. Some of y'all been coming here like five years and I still can't. And I feel really bad about that until I call you. Because when I pick up the phone and call you for some reason, what I've discovered is, you don't know who I am either. In fact, a lot of times I've called some of you and, I'll, and, I, and I just assume that you know me and, I, and I'll pick up the phone and call you and when you answer, I can tell on the other end you got no clue who I am until I say something like this. This is Steve. Steve who? Pastor Steve. You know from Passion Church where you've been coming for the last 10 years and tithing faithfully, regularly attending? Oh, yes, I do. 
And here's the excuse. Always, always the excuse. I didn't recognize the number. Which is a lie. Because it has nothing to do with the number. It's not the fact that you didn't recognize the number. You didn't recognize the voice. Because here's the truth. I've discovered something. The people that I'm intimate with, I recognize their voice. It doesn't matter what number they call me from. My dad can borrow somebody's phone because he's dropped his phone or left his phone or done whatever he does with his phone. He can call me from a number he's never called me from before. And he does not have to say, hey, this is your dad. As soon as he opens his mouth, I recognize his voice because I'm intimate with him. Same would be true for my mom. Same would be true for my wife. Same would be true for my kids. I know them because I know their voice. Here's the truth. And I knew we'd get here in this series and some of you would struggle. I struggle at this part of this series because this is how I was trained. That I had to answer this for everybody. But here's the truth. I can't know you all. I can't lead you all. I can't feed you all. I can't protect you all. What I have discovered is that I can lead and feed more people than I can shepherd how do you think churches get so big? You think they all know the preacher? You think when their life falls apart and they're sick and they're going into the hospital that the mega church preacher suddenly exits the stage, puts, gets his shepherd's crook and walks into the hospital? Doggone it, wake up. They don't even know them. They're their leader. They're their feeder. They're not their shepherd. But here's the truth is we want to say that that's okay in a mega church, but in a church just right under 200, we want to go, well, he should know me and he should be in my hospital bed every time. I can lead and feed more people than I can shepherd. Okay, so here's the truth. I can't be at every fight you have. I can't rally to every tragedy, tragedy you have. So I want you to hear very two emphatic statements that I make this morning because some of you are struggling because you think what I'm trying to do is get out of work. <coughs> and you think I'm trying to make an excuse so I don't have to come to your hospital room. But that's not the case. Here's the two emphatic statements that I need. Just like the law of entropy is a law. It applies to everybody. Nobody escapes entropy. The, the, these two statements that I'm about to make to you are the law. Number one is this. No one is exempt from this. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Period. Scripture is clear that, that, uh, that we need a shepherd. It's very clear that it, it talks to us that we are sheep. We are sheep. Every sheep needs a shepherd. I can prove that to you out of Scripture because over and over again we're told that, that without a shepherd, the sheep are doomed. Scripture clearly states that, that if you strike the shepherd, what happens? The sheep scatter. In other words, if sheep don't have a shepherd, they are vulnerable to attack. They're vulnerable to, to disease. They're vulnerable to be misled. They're vulnerable to be tricked. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Go read Psalm chapter 23. We desperately, every one of us needs a shepherd.
Our only hope to find green pastures. Our only hope to find still waters. Is linked directly to. And contingent upon. Whether as sheep. We have a shepherd. And here's the good news. Please. Hear the good news. The good news is around you right now. Are a multitude of shepherds. And most of them never touch the microphone. I'm going to call some of them by name just, just because I want to. Like Kim and Phil Wilkerson who had to go to a baby dedication this morning and are gone for right now. Are shepherds. Jessica Carter who's on a ministry trip right now. Is shepherding young ladies every Wednesday night. Notice I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't mentioned one person yet that's paid on staff. Jonathan Moore on Wednesday nights is shepherding young men. Danny and Esther Nix are shepherding people in this congregation. Mike and Teresa McPeak are shepherding people in this congregation. Lisa Walker is shepherding people in this congregation. Susan Harwell is shepherding people. In the, I could keep going. You want me to keep going? All around you are people. Alexis Hammond is shepherding little kids every Sunday morning while you're in here worshiping. All around you are people that are shepherding. They, they are shepherds. And you desperate. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Every one of them. These are the people... Um, that are the first people you call. They're the first to respond. They're the ones who do soul care. And I want you to hear me very clearly this, this morning. If you expect that the only, the only the ones that are on the stage are the ones that will shepherd you, then you will not only be sadly disappointed, but you will also be totally frustrated and you will also be exposed to failure. And you say, well, all, all you really want is, all you really want, all you're trying to do is you just want more of my time. You just want me to get involved in a small group so, so I'll, I'll get more connected and I won't, I'll be here on Sundays. That's really what you want. You just want more of my time. You want me to get involved in a ministry group so I'll serve. No, I want you to get in a small group and on a ministry team, not so you'll serve, so you will stink and survive. Amen. Come on. Because you need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. And if you attend every week and call me your shepherd, but all I really am is your leader and feeder, then when, tra when tragedy strikes and when dark nights of the soul hit and, and the enemy attacks you, then you will have no one to rally to you and there won't be anyone to protect you. And you'll point fingers at, at one guy and say, that guy right there, I thought he was my shepherd and it's his fault that I'm under attack. And all around you, unbeknownst to you, unrecognized by you, God has sent shepherds all around you to take care of your life. But you didn't ever recognize them. Every sheep needs a shepherd quickly. The second statement is equally as true. Every sheep needs to be a shepherd. Okay. This is it right here. Some of, listen, some of y'all have been attending church longer than some of us have been alive. Some of you have been attending church since you've been alive. You've had no choice. And we, most of us, never make this shift right here. 
And this is the difference maker. I put on Facebook yesterday, I hope you saw it. I said that if we would come to church today and make this shift right here, it would literally and fundamentally change our church, our community, and our world. So listen, every sheep needs to be a shepherd. This is the idea that we become responsible for the spiritual lives of those around us. We grow up enough to recognize those who have been assigned to us by God to know, lead, feed, and protect. Our dilemma is this. We live so often, we live our lives so focused on us that we never even think about are there sheep out there that I am assigned to shepherd? But there's, a, there's a, something happened. In week two, we dealt with shift number one, which was we were supposed to graduate from me to you. So if we're no longer self-centered, then our eyes have become opened and we recognize that there are people all around us that we're in relationship with that we could possibly... Okay. I'm not talking about, see, here's my, here's my fear. Some of y'all are going to go, well, what he did is he just told us we need to go to some other church because we need to find a shepherd. No, I didn't. Your shepherd's sitting around you or, number two, you are a shepherd. And we're waiting on you. Okay, so here's when the shift happens and I want you to understand it. Peter, fresh on the heels of denying Jesus. Y'all know this story because some of y'all been in church all your life. He's denied Jesus. He's watched from a distance as Jesus dies on a cross. He's discouraged because he recognizes that he's failed Jesus miserably when Jesus needed him most. So he makes up his mind and Peter says, I'm going to go back fishing. And all the other disciples that used to be fishermen join him. And then there's this great scene. You know this scene. This scene takes place like this. Peter and all the disciples are out there fishing and they strike out miserably. And all of a sudden a voice comes from the bank and says, hey, have you caught anything? And Peter goes, we fished all night. We hadn't, got, we hadn't caught nothing. And this familiar voice says, throw the nets on the other side. Wait a minute. We've been here before. This is like a rerun. We've lived through this before because somebody else did this when he was on our boat. And y- y'all remember, right? And so they throw the nets on the other side. And lo and behold, for the second time in his life, his nets are full. And the Bible says that Peter jumped in the water and swam to shore because re- he recognizes that's my shepherd, right? He gets to the bank. Y'all know this story. We've heard it preached to death. I'll even mention some of the things we've heard preached because he gets to the shore. Jesus has got fish and, and bread already cooking on the fire. And, and he's, he's ah, it's awkward because P- this is the first time Peter's had this face-to-face encounter with Jesus like this since he denied him. And Jesus begins to ask him questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Remember? When Jesus says, do you love me? He uses the word agape. It's the highest form of love. But two, uh, all three times, Peter uses a different word. He uses the word filio. All three times. Okay, so here's a bunch of lessons we teach. We teach that Jesus asked Peter the, th- the question three times to drive home the fact that he had denied him three times. I get it. That's true. We can play around with the Greek words. 
and recognize that finally on the third time when Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He drops the word down from agape to filio and comes down to Peter's level showing us that our shepherd will always come down to where we are. Great lessons, good preaching stuff. Should encourage us. I know you've heard all that. But I think in our dissection of the passage, we miss the constant. I I was going to read it to you. You, I'll just tell you where it's at and you can go read it on your own. John chapter 21 verses 15 through 17. Over and over Jesus says, do you love me? And when Peter responds every time, you know everything, Lord. I love you. I filio you, which is the lowest level of love. Jesus' response is consistent. He says it a little different each way, but it's consistent. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. All three times. And I think what, here's the lesson I think that we've missed, is that regardless of the level of love that Peter was able to give, Jesus gives the same command over and over and over again. Saying, literally saying to Jesus, saying to Peter, I don't really care what level of love you're at. What I really care about is this. Make the shift from sheep to shepherd and take care of my sheep. Oh, okay, so what that does is that makes it possible for us all to make this shift because I want you to notice something. Peter was commissioned in the worst moment of his life, not his best. So when we talk about making this shift, you can say stuff like this, I don't want to. You could even say, I don't really care. What you cannot say is that you're not called and you're not capable. Because in this moment, literally what happens is that in the worst moment of his life, the assignment is made for him to feed the sheep that Jesus has assigned to him. And while some of us sit on the sidelines relegating shepherding to those folks who seem to have this almost unattainable love and level of dedication and sacrifice for God, Jesus is over here saying, lowest to highest, I don't care if you love me at agape or filio, just take care of my sheep. The command is consistent. You say, well, I don't love Jesus as much as Pastor Steve loves Jesus. First of all, how do you stinking even know? And second, doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, Pastor, <laughs> but Pastor, you went to Bible college. Big whoop de doo I can't remember nothing they taught me. <laughs> no, Seriously. I hear these guys right out of college talking about all the stuff they've learned in college. You know why they can talk about all the stuff they just learned in college? Because they just learned it in college. I went 30-something years ago. I remember diddly squat. Nothing. Nothing. The issue is not my degree. The issue at hand is this. You don't have to have a degree. All you got to have to be a shepherd, here it is, this is profound. Sheep. That's it. And all around you are people, the sheep who desperately need a shepherd. And you're sitting around waiting on Pastor Steve to do it or Pastor Andrew to do it. Or these people with titles. And the truth is, is they weren't our sheep even anyway. They don't even know our voice. So this is our call. Why did he want us to make the shift? Because every sheep needs a shepherd. 
But there's no way one person can shepherd everybody. We must, listen, and I'm going to give you practical steps. I'm going to get out of your way. We must make this shift, hear me, because, listen, the number of people you can shepherd is limited to how many people you can know, how many people you can lead, how many people you can feed, and how many people you can protect with consistency and with competency for an extended period of time. Because you don't need to quit, we don't need people to keep moving from shepherd to shepherd. You need somebody in your life and you need to be some in somebody's life for the long haul doing those four things. And oh, by the way, you say, well, how does that change everything? This has something to do with everybody inside these four walls, but it doesn't, it's not limited to inside these four walls. So let me explain and then I'll go to practical. This is about becoming responsible for those you have influence with, even if they're considered outsiders. In uh, April, or leading at the end of March towards the 1st of April, I know this. Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. I, I agree with that, and we're going to talk about that in detail. But what I also recognize is this. It's easier to catch people that you're shepherding. See, y'all missed it. It's easier to catch people as a fisher of men if you've already been dealing with them as sheep. Even if they don't identify themselves as sheep. They don't have to know. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that when we go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the store, when you go to Starbucks, when you go to the bank, chances are you are running into people that are sheep, that resonate with your voice, that may not even be believers And when you begin to invest into them and care for them and feed them and lead them and guide them, all of a sudden they feel drawn to you and they're easier to catch. See, see, here's the issue. To take up Jesus' teachings, only take up his teachings is incomplete. We must also take up his cause. So here are my practical steps because some of y'all are worn out already. Okay, so practical steps. Here they are. Are you ready? Two practical steps that we got to take. If we're going to make this shift. Number one, you've got to identify your shepherd. Every sheep needs a shepherd. My question is, who is your shepherd? I would almost ask this question, but I'd be embarrassed by the the, the huge disconnect from what we've talked about. I almost ask you, if, if you think I'm your shepherd, point. 99% of you would go, and I don't even know you. I can't even drive to your house. But don't look at me like that. You can't drive to my house either. Who over a long period of time knows you? And their voice resonates with you. They feed, lead, protect you. They guard you. You have got to identify that person. And then you've got to lean into that relationship. You've got to invest more time with your shepherd. You need to strengthen that relationship. Listen, this is the practical step. I want you to go home and I want you to think about this. Here's the scary part. Some of you are going to come to this conclusion. You don't have one. 
And so then your practical step changes in step one because if you can't identify your shepherd, then you better find one. And number two, the second practical step is this, identify your sheep. So let me help you. Sociologists say that you can only intimately know 3 to 12 people. Think about that number. 3 to 12. You need to identify your sheep. So how do you do that? It's the people you know by name and you know their story. They trust you and vice versa. They could call you at 3 a.m. and you would not only answer, but you would go run and rescue them if you needed to. Surprise, they're sheep. You're their shepherd. They could betray you, but you wouldn't sever the relationship. Did you hear what I just said? They would betray you, but you wouldn't sever the relationship. I'm trying to help you identify your sheep. Who's attracted to your voice? When you're with them, there's a spiritual exchange that takes place. This is not about just exchanging information or advice. But when you talk to them, it's like something comes alive in you spiritually, but you see it. They may not even believe in Jesus, but when you talk to them, something starts coming alive in them. They're your sheep. They feel safe with you. You would lay your life down for them. This isn't everyone. And so I want you to do these two steps this week. Number one, you've got to figure out if you have a shepherd and if you don't find one. And number two, you better identify your sheep. And if you can identify three or four people that, that you meet this bill, these four things in their life, you need to invest your life into them. I've got a statement I'm going to make to you that's not in your notes. I, I did it on purpose. I want you to write this down instead. It's going to be on screen, but it's not in your notes. I want you to write this down. We need to begin to do more with less. Did you hear what I just said? Some of y'all are operating out of guilt and shame because you don't include everybody in your activities. That's okay. Do more with less. If you're their shepherd, do more with less. Invest in the three or four. Okay, y'all are looking at me funny this morning and I'm going to pray and get out of your way. I recognize that what I did is I just destroyed I literally just dismantled church as we know it. Because isn't it easier just to roll in here on Sunday mornings and go, well, he's our shepherd. Let him feed, lead, guide, protect. And we'll just come in here and go home. But wouldn't it be revolutionary if every one of us walked out of here looking for three or four sheep? And as we guide and protect and lead and guard them, all of a sudden, sheep that we didn't even know we had, that we didn't know we had, that have never heard my voice, suddenly walk in the doors and go, I'm part of this body. What? We don't even know you. That's all right. You're not my shepherd. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would do what I can't do. And I recognize that this is... It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.